Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Adam from Millage Custom Guitars and the N Plus One podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, you know, sometimes people wonder what does N Plus One mean? And, you know, as a musician, you know, we always wonder what, how many guitars is enough guitars? And, you know, today's guest, I've seen some of his collection and he definitely has the N plus one syndrome. He's definitely got gas, you know, which is gear acquisition syndrome. And uh, the number of, the correct number of guitars, everyone will, any guitar player would tell you is N plus one, which is the current number of guitars plus one more. And so that's kind of what this podcast is about. Not collecting guitars, but what is next? You know, what's on the horizon? Whatever your passions are, you know, your hobbies, passions, obsessions, you know, I found this with any, with any pursuit, you know, there's not just what you're working on, but what, what is next, what you're striving for, whether it's, you know, artistry or, you know, athletics or, or sports or whatever, there's always something that's over the horizon that you're moving towards. And right now we are smack dab in the middle of a mini series, my first mini series. And I'm very excited about that, but uh, I wanted to take a little bit of a look at maybe the, the role that the modern church has, especially with trying to reach our, our current culture. The word Christian kind of has a bad connotation sometimes these days. And so, you know, I kind of grew up and, you know, we always kind of got away from that. We like to say a Christ follower, <laughs> you know, nowadays, but you know, I grew up as a Christ follower and can consider myself that also still today, you know, sometimes modern Christianity gets a bad short end of the stick sometimes, and it doesn't change our mission. It doesn't change our goal, which is reaching people for the Lord. And I, I wanted to do a mini series where I talked to modern church leaders and talk to them about how they're trying to fulfill like a great commission, which is, you know, at, at its core, what we're trying to do. And so I, you know, I recently talked to my old college buddy, Ryan Lochi, who is a longtime worship leader. That was an amazing discussion. And then today I brought in a fellow 60 cycle hum group buddy and former 60 cycle hum fantasy football defeated competitor. You know, there was one season where I won the 60 cycle hum fantasy football league. I'm bringing in my, you know, compatriot, Adam Dahonic. Adam, welcome. Come on in. Yeah, thank you. I, I have won that league as well, at least once. I've, I've won it yeah. once and I think I've come in second twice and it didn't yeah. happen this year, but it probably happened next year. Yeah, you're, you're good at that. I, I got really lucky one year where just everything shaked out and, you know, then the next year it did the, played the exact same way. I, I always play fantasy football the exact same way. And, and one year it worked out perfectly. The next year it didn't work out. And the next year I just didn't have the mental capacity for it. And I, I've, I've backed out of it, but I, I thought that was a good league. And do you run that league or does Steve run that league or, you know, it's chained off from year to year. Yeah. I ran it a couple of years ago. Just depends on the year. Yeah, but that was good. You know, so, I, I used the money that I got from that because I was a money league and I used the money that I got for that and I bought a Wampler Terraform. I had, I had to pitch in a little bit because it was, I think I won like 240 bucks and I pitched in a little bit, but I got that Wampler Terraform. Still got that on the board. Mm. It's a good, it's a good one. But anyway, but we're not here to talk about guitars. And I'll say every time you post pictures of, of some of your gear, it's usually stuff you're selling. I'm trying to sell this gear and I'm like, oh my gosh, Adam has just the best gear you know you've got like novos and and like just like the, the most amazing stuff and it's just the stuff you're getting rid of like i i just i'm like like what is yeah stuff but it means i'm getting rid of well that's the thing is i'm not it usually means i'm getting rid of it and then you know something else happens so i don't have you know 
I, I'm at a low ebb on what gear I have right now, and that's fine. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, so Adam has has had a a, a a storied past, a career as a worship leader and pastor, but is currently the, a senior pastor. And so I wanted to talk in my mini series and we talked to Ryan about being a worship leader and I wanted to talk to Adam about being a pastor and trying to reach sheep, right? Trying to reach the people. And I thought it would be interesting to have this perspective coming from the, you know, one of us, right? I'm a, I'm a worship musician, right? You know, and, and you, Adam, you can fight for us, man. You can fight for the people in the band, right? (laughs) Sure. Um, Sure. Adam, how... First of all, why don't you introduce yourself? Where where are you serving at? What is your role there? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm at a church just south of Portland, Oregon, and and what happens whenever you have a city is that people can be like 20 miles away and then say, "Oh, I'm in Portland or I'm in I'm in Chicago," but they're like, you know, an hour away. But I'm I'm right. I have a Portland address at home, so we're right. we're five minutes south of the city of Portland. It's called okay. Faith on Hill, and. Okay. And we're a, we're a neighborhood community church. We're part of a, we're part of a Wesleyan denomination, but we intentionally try to be, some churches try to be like secretly part of a denomination because they're trying to like, trying to pretend for some reason. We made the choice to, we don't hide that we're part of a denomination, but we also, we operate in a way that if somebody moves here from Denver or somebody moves here from Seattle and, and they have two different church backgrounds, they could both feel comfortable coming to the church in their neighborhood. Hmm. Nice. And I, I know exactly what you mean because I have family. My grandma lives in North Plains and my aunt, I always thought she lived in Beaverton, but her address is actually a Portland address. So yeah, mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. It's like, yeah, Portland doesn't exactly mean Portland, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean there. So, but yeah, that's a beautiful place. We were just up there for some, for some family stuff just a month ago. And we drove up to, we drove up to Portland and man, you know, living in California and there's some very beautiful places in California. And I, I consider where I live, you know, there's lots of pretty stuff here, but man, when you get up to Oregon, holy smokes, that place is pretty. So let's talk about being a pastor a little bit. And nope. why don't you, why don't you introduce, and this is like, what I like to say is describe what it means to be a pastor. And I like to say, start off like you're, you're, you're describing it to a five-year-old, like what it means to be a pastor. And you can kind of start there and you can go up, you know, cause we're mostly adults here, but like, sure. start, like, what does it mean to be a pastor? And let us know, what does that mean? So the problem with that word in the American church, especially is that we take 20 different things and we roll it all into this one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in a lot of churches in the last 30, 40 years, Pastor just means anybody on staff, especially any man on staff that's on the payroll full time. And so, so I've been around churches, especially bigger churches that, that, you know, Steve is the facilities manager and he, he has no spiritual authority, no spiritual oversight. He's a good dude, Mm -hmm. but he has no spiritual role in the church. He's great at running the facility of a large campus. But because he is a, a male on staff, he gets t- called the facilities pastor mm-hmm. and, and he's a good guy and he'll pray with you, but he's not, he's not doing anything pastoral. And then there, there's Sally who's 
you know, leading, a, he's overseeing all the small groups or she's overseeing mm-hmm. the kids ministry or she's overseeing these different uh, programs, but because she's, you know, not, she gets called the director or, uh, you know, something else. So we have these funny things about how we lump everything into one. And, and the Bible doesn't use the, those terms. It has talks about pastors, shepherds, overseers of people's right. souls, but it talks about elders and deacons. And so I'm an elder of the, in our church. I'm, I am, I oversee the church spiritually. I, I help shepherd the church in doctrine and in theology. I help, you know, care for, for people's souls, especially in times of crisis, in times of, you know, when, when the pastor gets called, you know, hospitals, funerals, times of, 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 you know, when I get a phone call from somebody and, and it's, you know, this tragedy has happened. So we walk sure. through people in some of those dark, of we walk with people through some of those dark places. And then we also help. Sometimes we're helping people just navigate a, a momentary situation. You know, you know, we, we get a, a text that, you know, Hey, my, my son's having a, a minor surgery today, but they just want somebody in their corner praying with them. Yeah. And and then and then you know just having somebody in the community who who has devoted themselves in an extra way to the study of scripture so that when you hear something on a podcast or a YouTube video or you're in a conversation and somebody says something that you go wait that what what's going on there or you read something in the Bible that you're like well, I don't get that mm-hmm. at all that you have somebody who's you not only is easy access, but you have relationship with to be able to say what's going on there. So right. people, you know, they'll come in on a Sunday, Sunday morning with just, sometimes they'll have a random, Hey, I was reading this. I didn't understand it. Can you tell me what's going on? I can take five minutes and say, okay, this is what that's about. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's, it's nothing major, but it's, it's just, it's just a, a, a component of their spiritual development. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so what I do, you know, to explain for a five-year-old is, is I'm, I care for people's souls and I try to help people know more about God. That's, that's the real basic answer of what I do. I love that. And then I care also, and then I also oversee. Happy. Yeah. And then I also have to like, you know, mow the church's lawn and do things right. like so that. <laughs> there's like the spiritual stuff, right? But then there's just like you said, there's there's administrative administrative stuff too, and that that stuff the church doesn't run if that stuff doesn't happen too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm 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 looking out at our parking lot, thinking I need to get the leaf blower out, and there's no <laughs> class in, in there's no class in Bible college or seminary about how to effectively run a leaf blower, but there should be. Yeah, you know, you know, our church is is pretty progressive in that there's there's no staff it's 100% volunteer ran there's not even there's mm-hmm. no pastor they take there's a teaching team that takes turns teaching it's 100% volunteer ran and that literally means that if there's not a volunteer you know, someone doesn't volunteer to say, Hey, I'll sweep. It, there's nothing gets swept, you know? Yeah. So that it's, it's really, I love the way that we do things. Are you guys like but, a, like a Plymouth brethren tradition or something like that? No, we we, so we, our church, there were, you know, we kind of had some stuff. There was another church in town that a lot of us were part of, and there was some stuff that happened and kind of, we, a lot of us went our own ways, went to other churches and then kind of reformed, refound our own thing. And yeah, they you know, just didn't really find things that worked for us. And yeah, it's just one of those things where we just kind of were like, Hey, let's just do church a different way. You know, where, you know, all of the, like every single leadership meeting is 
open to everybody. Every, literally, anybody can have a vote. They're all live streamed, so you can even live stream in and have a vote. And like I said, everybody is is you know it's pretty small. So you know, like this, you know, if it was like you know. You know, 4,500 members, it might be a problem, but you know, with a, yeah. you know, a 50 to 70 person church, it, it's, it's, you know, it works, you know? So sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the things I, I revisited church history a few years ago when I was finishing my master's degree and I came away with an appreciation for certain things that I had long been critical of in other groups. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the monks monasteries and and the whole celibacy thing among catholic priests mm-hmm. because yeah. i had a better understanding of why they in that moment made the decisions that they did to to go that route now it, did it make Tell sense over this. a long a long term well like for example like why the catholic priest instituted celibacy it had to do with there, there is historically in a lot of cultures a mistrust of sex and sexuality to begin with. Right. That's not that's not uncommon in, in in other cultures. It's foreign. It's a foreign concept to us, but it's not uncommon in other cultures. And and so then if you couple that with a time when the church was incredibly linked to politics, and so Italian princes would pay for their brother or their third son to become a cardinal mm-hmm. and then or or the 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 cardinal himself would have kids and then pay pay for them to become cardinals or, or mm-hmm. bishops and these religious political dynasties started to form and so they said we we can't have essentially hereditary monarchies forming in the church we need to keep nepotism from being an issue, which, by the way, in the American church, it's becoming an issue. It's becoming you know, there, an there issue. are whole, yep. yeah, there are, there are churches big and small that yep. the only way leadership transfers is if mm-hmm. it transfers from one family's generation, one generation of a family to the next generation of the same family. Yeah. And sometimes um, it works and sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> And it works when it works, it works by happenstance. It works because the person in the next generation happens to be called by God and qualified for the role. Right. But it doesn't mean that that was the best choice. It just means that they got lucky. Mm hmm. And, and so, so I, I, I walked away from everything going, okay, I get why in that moment they went with the celibacy rule. Now it, was it a good rule universally or was it a good rule for all time? (laughs) No. And that's proven to be the case. And, And even universally, like it's, it's kind of this like open secret that the Catholic church never universally enforced that rule in Africa. There are places in Africa where they've never unofficially, they've never enforced that rule. I did not know but, that. But I have, but I have sympathy now because I have an understanding, and I think the same is true. Rolling back to where we were, you know, where your church has a totally different way of doing things, mm-hmm. and but the reason I mentioned Plymouth Brethren is a tradition that started, you know, a few hundred years ago. That's in their DNA, mm-hmm. and and it's. We, we might look at them and say, why did they, why does this older group do this thing? Not realizing that maybe there was a moment not too dissimilar from what your church has experienced mm-hmm. in that moment recently where it made mm-hmm. a lot of sense. 
And so, you know, maybe what you guys are doing makes sense right now, and it won't make sense for your church in 20 years. And maybe what the Plymouth Brethren started made sense for them, you know, 200 years ago, and they probably maybe should have thought about changing something up a hundred years ago. I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to make any judgment calls on anybody. Yeah. I'm just saying when you understand that there are moments where something different needs to happen, you have a lot more yeah. sympathy when you look around and start to say, what's going on over there? Well, maybe over mm-hmm. there they're doing what they need to do. Yeah, definitely. You're a head pastor now and you didn't start that way. What led you down that path? How did you end up being a pastor? Nothing was intentional. I I was a Christian at a young age. And so I know you had mentioned you're going to talk to somebody who did children's ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for people that do kids church Same, because I had somebody kids, kids church got a hold of me. My mom grew up in a a non-believing home Mm. and my, my, there was trauma, there was abuse, there was neglect. And she had neighbors that brought her to church. And she came to faith because of a kid's ministry at a church. And then I grew up in the church, but I remember coming to faith because a, a teacher in a class just explained the good news to me. And I went home and I told my parents I wanted to become a Christian and pray. And and to me, that's been valid ever since. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in fact, just the other night, I, I was thinking about it and I was praying, you know, Lord, I don't know who this person was. I don't know the name of the person. I think it, I remember it being a woman and mm-hmm. I don't know if they're still alive, but I just asked God to bless them if they were yeah. still alive, wherever Amen. they were at. That's awesome. And so I'm thankful for that. But growing up, you know, I, I, I was a believer when I was 14, I was at a youth summer camp in, in the San Bernardino mountains in California. Now I was, I grew up in Seattle, so we had driven all the way down to San Bernardino mountains to do this youth camp for some reason. And that's a long drive. There was, yeah, it was a long drive, very long drive. And so we were down there and they were saying they were gonna have a baptism in the swimming pool. And I was like, well, Christians get baptized. I should get baptized. So I got Mm. baptized. And I remember there was like people like saying like, you know, I, I had all these, this spiritual enlightening experiences and they were like, it was cloudy. And then I came up out of the water and the sun was shining down on me. And I was like, we're in California. There's not a cloud in the sky. I don't know what you're talking about, but good for you. Yeah. And then I, I remember kind of thinking like, am I not as good a Christian? Cause I didn't have this thing. And that night I had a, a, a divine encounter. I had the, the Bible sometimes describes the, the, the weight of the presence of God, especially when you read the, the old Testament, when the, the, the cloud of the glory of God would appear in the temple or the Mm -hmm. tabernacle. And that's the closest I can describe what happened in that moment. And I've never had quite anything like that before since, right? But, but it, it changed how I viewed my faith. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward a couple of years, the church I was at was going to go to Russia on a mission trip. And it was like the last Sunday to sign up and we didn't. And on the drive home, that same feeling of the spirit of God was telling me I had to go. And so I were driving home and I'm like, mom and dad, I have to go to Russia, you know, and I was like 16. And what do you do if your 16 year old son is like, mom and dad, I got to go to Russia. And, and the okay. signups are, are, are over. 
So they call the pastors. Can you still get in? You know, yes. Okay. So they get me in. They, you know, I go. And it was there that I just knew, I knew I was supposed to serve God and I didn't know how. I didn't know what that meant. I was playing music in terrible terrible high school bands like you but do. because we were in <laughs> yeah although because we were in seattle i can say that i've opened for artists that i have no right saying i've opened for i've opened so i i opened for pedro Wait, the lion save it. save it we have a we have a oh, okay. name drop you can say it that's okay right. we have at the end we have a name drop section well i'm gonna tease that that's only okay. the first i've got others okay so i've i've i, I opened for these bands and pedro artists that lion? i shouldn't have Dude, that's awesome yeah 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 that's that's only the first one so anyway i've opened for these bands and artists that i should have no business saying that i've opened for and i thought okay I'll, I'll serve god through music and then i graduated from high school and then i got asked to go to england to be the the music guy at this church in england in manchester mm. england so I, okay cool i'm okay. serving god through music and then i was there for a few years and then while i was there i i saw that the the youth in the church and in the neighborhood were being underserved. And so I wanted to help be part of it. But the, the youth guy who's a good guy, but he, he just was trying to do things in an old, in an out of touch way. And he meant well. And so I would just get so frustrated. And I would like, basically like, I finally was like, Lord, either he's got to go or I got to go. Cause I'm just so frustrated about this. And, and he, he quit like two weeks later. So all of a sudden I'm a youth pastor, but I have no, no idea what to do. So I'm just trying to figure out how to be a youth pastor and you know, how do I, how do I do this? And I feel like that's uh, common so, for youth pastors. <laughs> sure. No and not great, <laughs> not great. I do not advise this at all, but, but that's what was going on. So as youth pastor, I was worship leader. I was doing music. I was, I was oh, cool. This I'm serving God. And I was going to Bible college and and then I thought, man, I am ready to go. And then God brought me back to America and then nothing happened. Nobody wanted me for anything for, for several years. And I, I got a job that was unimpressive and I'm just working this unimpressive job. Nobody wanted me to do anything. Like I would occasionally get thrown a bone and get asked to lead worship somewhere or preach somewhere, but it was few and far between. And it was, you know, you hear about like these guys who had Moses out in the wilderness, you know, people in these times of waiting in the Bible, mm -hmm. that was what was going on in my life. And the only person that ever asked me to do anything was this children's ministry gal at my church who would ask me to come do kids stuff, which felt super demeaning. Yeah. I'd been a youth pastor. I'd been a missionary, but I did right. it. And we ended up getting married, me and the gal. And uh, that's been great. <laughs> she we got mar you. Married for 12 years. Yeah. She got and, you, dude. Uh, she got you, yeah. dude. So, and we got married and then we helped plant a church and I was the worship. All, all of a sudden, like we got married and then I was the worship director and she was doing stuff. And then we, we got hired at this church in California and I was doing worship and I was a youth pastor again. And like things are good. And I had no interest in being a lead pastor, except it was kind of the same thing as you know, 12, 15 years before where that I saw that the youth in that neighborhood in England weren't being served well by the church because the, the youth guy was meaning well, but not wanting to change to be effective. And the same thing was happening where I was seeing that churches in my, in my field of reference in a lot of different denominations. So it wasn't just one group of churches, but they were largely being led 
by leaders of a certain age who were very comfortable leading in a, in a certain way that felt like that worked in a certain time in a certain place, but it didn't work now. And right. I remember talking to the, the, the lead pastor and saying, one, I said, honestly, like I'm the youth pastor, you, you preached last Sunday and none of your references or illustrations you were making all these like pop culture references, but none of them were before 1982, the year I was born. And so if that, if they're going over my head, like, how is that going to be for anybody who's younger than me? Like, you know, the youth groups in church on Sunday mornings, the 20 year old adults, the 30 year old adults, you're not, you're not speaking to us. And uh, he didn't like that. And he, he fired me a little while later. So, so then, you know, it's all of a sudden, a I'm, it's such a shame that, it, it, that people can't receive that input, you know, like, like these are, these are the people that are in church trying to hear the word of God, you know, it is a shame that the, the, the ironic thing, and this is the danger though, is they didn't start that way. So right. when he had when he, he was the founding pastor. So when he had started the church in 91, he was the young guy. He had been in this punk rock band that like had a, 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 a huge underground following in the West coast to this day. Like I've met people who were like into that band. And if I like name dropped it, it would be like impressive to them. Yeah. And they would go, they would play these underground warehouse shows and have like 2000 people show up and nobody knew who they were except this, you know, underground punk scene. And so he didn't start out that way. But what happens if, if you make your whole thing about being the young, the young or the fresh or the hip thing, you never stay that way. And, and, and if you, if your whole thing is about being young, then you think, you know what you're, you're doing and you, you don't it's harder to age gracefully. Mm. So if you don't make your thing about that, which I'm trying not to, as I get older, I'm trying not right. to make my whole thing be about that so that I can be more accepting. Like I'm, I'm always on the lookout. Who's, who's 20 years younger than me and who's going to do something very different than me. Right. Cause I need somebody, I need somebody around who's just going to think differently and right. do some things differently. And they're going to be very awkward and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do some things wrong, just like I did 20 years ago. But I, I'm trying not to forget that 20 years ago, I did all those things and somebody had a lot of grace for me. Yeah. So that's actually why I became a lead pastor was because I made the decision that I could go be the worship pastor at another church and have the same situation just because of my age. I, I kind of did the, the math on the back of a napkin and said, we are five to 10 years from the majority of that age group retiring. Mm -hmm. And COVID for some, it sped it up, but for others, it pushed it back. And so I, I said, I could go be the, the worship pastor at all these churches that still have a 57 to 67 year old leader. And there's nothing wrong with being older, except if you are refusing to, to change. And, and it, and it looks like this. So like, I, I have a friend who I think is a wonderful man. And he retired as a lead pastor and became a like a pastor of care and counseling at a big, bigger church. But he referred to all of the other staff members who were in their mid thirties to mid forties as the kid pastors. 
And I called him on it. I said, those are grown people. Those are women and men who they're not as old as you. They don't have your experience, but they're, they're grown adults. You're not kids, but you're demeaning them by the, by calling them that. And he didn't see it that way because he was just thinking, oh, they're just kids. Well, no, they're not. And, and, uh, you know, I've heard stories of, of worship leaders in churches who the pastor is again, 57 to 67, and then trying to tell a 27 year old or a 32 year old, oh, this is what young people like. Well, how do you know? <laughs> I would, I would ask the 27 year old, not always, cause you do get old souls <laughs> yeah, who sure. have no idea what, you know, there's always, there's always like, there are, there are churches who will have like that one 17 year old that's weird and likes to go where there's like a bunch of grandmas mm-hmm. and, and loves, loves choral music. And is just happy as a clam at, you know, at yeah, grandma's sure. church. Yeah, and then they'll hold up. Oh, we, we were reaching young people with our our one weirdo seventeen year old. But <laughs> that's that's not that's the exception, right? That's not the rule. It is, and 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 you have to be able to process. Like I'm I'm talking about twenty seven year olds and thirty five year olds who are not the exception. They're they're reflective of the general state of their generation. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell a tw- uh, you know somebody's a, 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 a teenage kid say, "Well, what do you think of my hair?" And I said. Hey, you don't want to ask me. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> Who cares what I think? If you think it's cool, go for it, man. Yeah. Like, nice. You know, you mentioned, so. you mentioned that experience that you had around your, around your baptism. And I, I remember feeling experience of kind of similar to that. I was in Mexico. We were doing like some mission trip or something to Mexico like you do. And I just remember we were doing a communion and it was like, it was like, it was like a, down and dirty Mexico community. So we had hot dog buns that we're dipping into Kool-Aid, right? Okay. So this is like the Mexico communion. This isn't like the church mm-hmm. communion, right? There's no, there's yeah. not even grape juice. There's no, you know, there's no, unleavened sure. bread. this is hot dog buns dipped into Kool-Aid, but I still, yeah. even to this day, and this is probably 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, I still to this day, remember that being the most impactful communion I'd ever had. It was, it was so it just intense and the presence of God was so, was so present. And it just, it was just, it was just impactful. It was life-changing, you know, just, you know, that, sure. that, that Kool-Aid man, <laughs> we drank the Kool-Aid that day, <laughs> but anyway, so when people, when, when you talk to people about being a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, what are some misconceptions that people have about the job of pastor in your life? I think, I think there's in general, it usually has to do with schedule. Yeah. You only you work know, one day a week, you- right? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I remember there was, there was a middle school kid I knew who wanted to be a youth pastor. And, and in one way it was sweet and flattering because the person who had been like the most loving and kind in his world had been his middle school youth pastor, which is good to hear. But at the same time, the kid was kind of lazy. And so he thought if I am a, if I'm a youth pastor, then on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, I get to run this like game time and I talk about God for a few minutes and God's cool. So I'll talk about God. And then I get to just hang out and drink coffee the rest of the week. And that sounds nice. Cause I don't want to dig a ditch. That sounds nice, man. Ditches are horrible. Sure. What they don't realize is that you might have to dig ditches as a pastor because <laughs> that might be what you have to do. Either because there are seasons where I, you have to go get a job to oh, minister yeah, sure. or because the church needs a ditch dug. 
Yep. And you've got to go do it. You can't. So, yeah, can't, I think the uh, biggest the, miscon- Yeah, the church doesn't have the uh, budget to hire people to dig a ditch. So you just got to go dig it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so, so the biggest misconception is, is the schedule that people kind of go, well, what do you do with your week? And, and the way that your schedule is structured because it's, it's somewhat 20, you're on call 24 hours a day. So yeah, so I think schedule is probably the biggest misconception. And, and then even then, like what you do, because as we said at the beginning, we take this word pastor and we, it means so many different things in so many different contexts. So for one, for one person, pastoring might look very different than it does for someone else. And in, in one season, it might look very different than it does for me, you know, two years from now or, two, or you know, before COVID. I mean, I, I became a video editor when COVID hit. And I wasn't doing that before. And now I, now I edit video every week and I produce podcasts. And those are things I, I wasn't doing before. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are, what would you consider some of the biggest challenges of being a pastor? I know there's a lot of challenges of being a pastor. The I, I, I think this is true for every pastor, no matter what their context is. The biggest challenge that a pastor has is taking care of their own soul. Because, you know, when you, you know, those, those flight safety videos on a plane that none of us pay attention to anymore. (laughs) No, I've never paid attention to them. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Like if I'm sitting close enough to the flight attendant, I try to fake it because like they're, they're doing their job and like, I can at least pretend to be paying attention. But, but if I'm, if I'm tucked in a corner and they don't see me, I, I don't pay attention. But, but one of the things that they, they talk about in every one of those instructions is if the masks come down, put yours on first before you help someone else. Right. Because it doesn't do any good for you to not be safe in, in, in trying to help somebody else. Because mm-hmm. if you pass out, you can't help anyone else. And, and I think that is true for anyone who is doing work that causes you to be emptied. Uh, You have to be refilled. You have to be refreshed. And so if I am running myself ragged, I won't be good to other people. Right. And, and that is the biggest challenge that anyone has who is doing something. And it might not be pastoral ministry. Maybe you work for a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Maybe you volunteer your time on, on your day off. Maybe you're a caregiver to a a loved one or a neighbor who has a disability or has an illness. Anytime you have a a role or a position where you're pouring yourself out, that will be your biggest challenge is keeping your own soul healthy. Yeah. You can get burnout in any ministry, you know, I mean, just even if you're, you know, worship ministry, even if just serving in any ministry, but I feel like that's especially dangerous as the, as the, in the past, in the pastor role. I remember my mom always would tell me, you know, that it's really important for pastors to, to have those retreats where they go. She always would tell me, you know, Hey, if the pastor is only feeding others and they're never feeding themselves, it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, She would always tell me like, it's really important for the pastors to go to those retreats, to go do the things that recharge their batteries and go seek the Lord on their own. So yeah, that's, that's a really great, really great. There's an author, um, 
I don't know if he still lives in Portland. He used to pastor here in the Portland area. There's an author named A.J. Swoboda, and my wife has read both of his books. She, he has a book that's more well-known called Subversive Sabbath, and then he has an, an earlier book that's lesser known called The Dusty Ones. My wife says The Dusty Ones is the better book, and he talks, his, his primary focus is on the idea of taking a Sabbath rest of some mm, form. Sure. And one of the things that he, he said, I, I, I sat in on three days of, of lectures by him. And one of the things that he said is as a pastor, if you take the 10 commandments and you, you, you keep, or see, so basically if you take out the one about Sabbath, and then you look at the nine other commandments. He says, if I break any of those other ones, I will get fired, you know, and maybe go to jail. If I murder somebody, I'll go to jail. But, but he says, I, if, if I break any of the nine other commandments, I will get fired as a pastor. But if I break the commandment about Sabbath, meaning if I work on my day off, if I work more than I should, if I don't rest, I might get promoted or I might get a bonus or I might <laughs> get... You know, oh, no. uh, you know, but it's true. Oh, you think man. about it, right? That's bad. Um, oh no. And, and, and I remember being at a leadership event and it was supposed to be like talking about healthy leadership strategies. And one of the, one of the, the church leaders who was there was describing like encouraging a team. But what I realized he was doing was finding ways to manipulate his staff to work on their day off unpaid. No. Yeah. And I was sitting there going, Oh, that's terrible. That's so horrible. No, But oh my it, gosh. it's, he was so positive and winsome and, you know, uplifting in his way. He described everything that you're going, Oh man, he's such an encourager and, and he's a cheerleader for his team. And he's so positive. And then you realize, wait, 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 no, he's getting his staff to work on their day off unpaid. And they're, and they're living out what AJ Swoboda was saying. They're breaking the command of the Sabbath. And I'm not saying that Christians are bound by the old Testament law. Right. I'm just speaking in terms of principle. <laughs> they're breaking the command about the Sabbath and they're getting rewarded for it. But if they break any of the other nine, 10, nine of the 10 commandments, they'll get fired. <laughs> and I think there's something to that. If, oh, if you don't man. guard your own soul and what ends up happening, especially in these high capacity ministries is there yeah. are individuals. My, my Bible college roommate is now a mega church pastor with multi-site church in multiple States. And I chuckle cause he's got a can't, he's in another state, but he's got a campus here in my city <clears throat> and he is a high capacity individual. He's, mm -hmm. he's a, he's a very unique person. Most people aren't that. So he can burn through staff members, but he'll keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't yeah. mean to, he's not malicious, but that's how it works out. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I think that's the biggest challenge for anyone who's doing anything where you're giving of yourself is not, yeah. not taking care of your own soul. So this is, I feel like this is such an easy question for, for any pastor, which is what about doing this whole thing? What fills your bucket? Why do you do it? Hmm. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of a time and he, and for those who don't know, I don't want to assume anything for those who are listening and don't know, Jeremiah was a prophet. He lived hundreds of years before Jesus and he wrote a book in the Bible called the book of Jeremiah. And he, he basically had 
no converts, nobody listened to his message. Everyone ignored him. Right. And he spoke of a time when he basically said, I'm done. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody cares what I have to say. I'm going to just stop talking. And he said, I tried that. And what God was doing in me just kept burning and burning and burning in me. And I had to speak what God was giving me to speak. So I think there is an element of that where if you are, if if you're called of God to do a, a specific thing, then you, you have to do that thing. And for me, it, it's, it's teaching the Bible, you know, trying to connect people towards Jesus. I love helping people understand more about God and, and what he, what he is doing and how he feels about them and his plans for us. So I really enjoy that element of it. The, the connecting with people, encouraging with people, praying with people. I love, I love that sort of ministry and anything administrative. I hate so much. (laughs) And, and so I am, I'm terrible at it. I need to, I, I am hopefully getting better. I need to get better. And, and, and so it's a challenge to, to grow in that too. I feel like a a good part of being a, a, a huge part of being a good leader is to know what your weaknesses are and to account for them and maybe put people in place that can, you know, hand, you know, take, take up some of the slack for your weaknesses so that you can focus on your strengths, you know, and because, you know, it's like, Hey, I've, I've, I've acknowledged this is a, a place of weakness in myself. I'll do the best I can. And I'm going to hire, you know, hire or, you know, find people that are good at that and put them in places where they can take up the slack. So yeah, you know, do that. <laughs> yeah. We try to as much as you can, so, but you know, yeah, that's just the reality of being in a smaller church, you know, and, and right. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, but you, yeah, so. that's awesome. That's a great answer, man. So this is, this is, uh, this is a question that is sometimes I don't really feel it's fair to ask sometimes with, with church people, but cause I know that sometimes it comes with a lot of pain, but have you had any notable, like bad experiences in as a, as your, during your time as a pastor? Yes. And I don't, I don't Anything mind talking about it. Talk about. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'll preface it by saying this. I don't mind talking about how I've been hurt in the church. And I really want to be honest because I think when I talk about it, it gives freedom and safety for others to be open and honest about if yeah. and when they've been hurt in the church. Uh, and, and, and something that I talk about live and in person and on our online podcasts and everything else is if, if somebody, especially locally has been hurt by a church or a pastor or somebody, and they just need to like yell at a pastor, I'm, I'm fine. If they just say, I need to yell at a pastor and you don't get to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even you. I'm fine with that. I don't, I, I can live with that. So I don't mind sharing. I also think that what happens though is is we have it's it's very popular right now to talk about all of the warts of the church without acknowledging the good and and that's the only right. hesitation i have is is that i never want to be dishonest but i i always want to be careful that in being honest i don't unintentionally become dishonest by only sharing the bad so but yeah i mean the, the reality of being a pastor is if somebody is is friends friendly with you or your wife or if their kids are friends with your kids and then they decide that they want to leave the church for whatever reason 
more often than not, they will just ghost. And then you never hear from them again. And your kids go, hey, want to go play at their house? Sorry, they, they don't go to the church anymore. Your, your wife feels, your, your spouse, because there's, there's women who have this with their husbands, you know, their, their husband, same thing. So the spouse of the, of the minister feels safe connecting with this person in the church. And then let's, let's say, you know, let's say that their husband gets mad at me. And so they leave the church and my wife's going, hey, that's like the one gal I felt safe being a kind of open with or, or, uh, yep. you know, or, or something, something else, you know, it, it just kind of these, that's just a reality of it. Yep. Yeah. It, you get that kind of thing. I've been lied about, you know, gosh, you know, Oh, uh, you know, Adam kicked me out of the church. Well, this, this is one of the things I love about emails is that there's paper trail. So I've, I've been able to prove, you know, no, I didn't. This is, I have all the emails. This is his back and my back and forth with him. So I can prove that he's lying or witnesses are great. So we had a guy really early on in my time here who had acted. It wasn't, it wasn't anything illegal. It was just, it, it made some women feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so myself and another one of our key leaders, we sat him down and, and we just were really gracious with him. And we said, Hey, you need to know you, like you made these gals feel uncomfortable. And so like, we want to walk with you through like what's going on. Cause we feel like there's some deeper stuff and he had no interest. So they leave, you know, and then tells everybody that we kicked him out. And I was like, we, we didn't, we specifically said we weren't kicking him out, but because I had that other guy with me, I had somebody else to say, no, I was there. Adam didn't kick him out, you know? Yeah. So yeah, so I know, think, I think that's just a reality is that you, you have that kind of thing happen and then yeah. you have to run into them at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, we can, you know, I have that exact pain of, you know, that you mentioned about when you leave a church and you basically, you know, feel like you lose all your friends, you know, cause we, we left a church, I don't know, three or four years ago. It was very heartbreaking. And we started to attend a new church and that church was good for a while. And we felt that it was time to move on. So we've done this twice, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just like you, you go in, you make, make new friends and, you know, and you know, so sometimes it's, Sometimes it's literally, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, we just, we don't, we don't talk to them anymore. And sometimes it's, you just don't see them anymore. You know, you know, we went from yeah. seeing them every week at church, you know, and at church, Hey man, we should hang out. Let's set something up. And now all of a sudden you don't see them. You don't run into them. You're not in the same circles. And we've, we've tried keeping those friendship ponds alive. And it's just so hard if you don't see them every day, you know, you know it's, it's, it's really rough, you know, and it's hard to, it's so hard I feel like it's so hard as a, you know, 42 year old male to make good, to make friends, you know, like you just, you go to work and you come home and you're hanging out with your family and it's like, well, where do you make friends? Well, you know, I don't, I don't go out to the bars and drink. I mean, (laughs) you know, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to make friends? Well, I make them at church, but then, but when you, when you, when you move on from churches and then they all stay there and then move on. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's rough. So plus I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm boring. Like all I do is like play guitar. <laughs> so like in, if, if I don't, if they don't play guitar, they're like, they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, I think it's really hard to have relationships are tricky as it is, but we, humanity has lived most of its existence in semi-permanent 
smaller environments. Yeah. And, and so, so the kind of population transfers, relational transfers that we make now, commonplace now, are not in our historical norm as, as a species. Mm-hmm. And so they're not they're not necessarily good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet at the same time, you kind of recognize, you know, some people you're just, you're friends with, you're, you're friendly with in, in this environment. And, and the reality is, is that, you know what, I don't hang out with them outside of this environment. And when I move on, I, I won't see him again yeah. other than on social media. And that's fine. I think there's an, a certain acceptance of that. And then some people you maintain a longer relationship with. I do think it's good if you leave a church that it's hard, Yeah, which is counterintuitive because you think, oh, I don't want that. But, but I actually think leaving a church should be really painful. And, and, and somebody might think that's masochistic, but I think what it means is that I had real relationships with yeah. people. It means you were invested. Um, yeah. yeah, I was invested. People knew me. I was known. And, and so leaving shouldn't be easy and it should right. be worrisome if I can leave a place easily. Right. Yeah. If, if, if you're, if you, if, if you're at a place where you just like, Hey, let's stop attending this church and you can just, you can just stop attending that Sunday and there's no ramifications then were you even attending that church? You know, like, <laughs> well, you were attending, you were, you were coming. I think, that, I mean, part of that word, you attended. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were yeah. attending, but you weren't part of the family, right? Um, yeah, and and, Which, and so yeah. I think I think being part of a, something in a, in a real tangible way is more than just attendance. It's right. Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like like this is to me like the biggest. This is to me like the biggest like misconception of of church. Right? Is that it's just fire insurance. Right. Mm-hmm. To me, it's you know, like, sure. Like the, the, the hope that we have in salvation, you know, is, is so important. Right. But to me, it's not about getting out of jail, you know, when our time is up to me, the, the, you know, the, the relationship that we have with the Lord now is, is what the whole thing is about. You know, it's about living, living every day with the Lord and, you know, slowly growing together with him a little bit more every day and doing relationships together with other believers. And if you're attending a church and you're not building relationships with other believers, you're missing out on that whole thing. So it kind of breaks my heart when I, I hear of people who, you know, are believers and they're, they don't attend any church at all. And, and, and I I feel like they're missing out on something, you know, and, you know, I'm not to say that, that they can't do it that way, but I feel like, you know, that, that the church, the coming together and living life with others is so critical to the, to the, to the way of life. I don't know. What do you think about that? I do. I think, so first of all, the idea of fire insurance, in the book of James, the apostle there teaches that you say you have faith, but you don't need works. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 says there's going to come a day when he will separate those who are true believers from those who are not. And he'll say, enter into the kingdom. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. And he's not teaching salvation by what we do. He's, he's saying you guys actually lived in faith. 
right. enter in. And then there are going to be people who will say, wait, what about us? And he'll say, you didn't do these things, not because th- doing those things saves us, but right. because doing those things shows our salvation. So, so I think th- there's this idea of you know, if, if I, if I just, oh, I believe in God. And and so I'll I'll make sure that I don't go to hell or something, which is how you get the fire insurance label. Mm -hmm. I I think that anyone who lives in that sort of paradigm, I would warn them that the Bible indicates that that might not be enough. I, I think that part of why the church gets a, some of the church's bad reputation in our culture is deserved. And I'll be the yeah. first to say it's deserving. Yeah, for sure. Some, some of it's not, it's some of it's really unfair. And, and I think part of what the unfairness comes from is it used to be that if you were a church going person or a non church going person, the difference between one and the other wasn't drastic in polite society, at least publicly. Privately might have been a whole nother story, but publicly, a church-going person and a non-church-going person, there was not a huge difference. Now, that's shifted. Mm-hmm, and, definitely. And so, so, so for some of my friends, they'll talk about having a... I have friends that had a, had a truly abusive or toxic church upbringing. Mm, yeah. But I also have a lot of friends who will talk about having some kind of toxic or abusive church upbringing. And, and it's like, your parents were like artsy hippies. What are you talking about? And, and the reality for them is that their parents or their family were, were, weren't interested in just fire insurance, that they were genuinely trying to live out their faith. So they weren't just at church one Sunday a month or Christmas and Easter, they were at church every Sunday and they were at church for, uh, Bible studies in the midweek and they were going to events and on mission trips and they were part of things like actively a part of things because for them, faith was incredibly genuine and, and still is. Mm-hmm. And so then, then their, ch- their child, you know, now an adult goes, oh, I can't believe that my parents had a genuine faith that they weren't hypocrites. Well, no, you're, you're just, you just have chosen a different path. It wasn't that your parents were toxic. It's that they were genuine in their belief. And that's, that's a different, that's a different thing. How dare and, they have a genuine belief? Yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways I have friends who it's like, it's like they'll describe. And I was like, I went to the same youth group that you went to. Okay. And they'll describe something very different than what I experienced. Okay. Now I grant that everybody can have a different experience, you know, based on different factors. I, I wasn't a woman in that or a girl in that youth group. Yeah. I, I grant that that could be a very different situation for sure. All those acknowledgements. I, I was a white kid in a youth group. Maybe that would be different. Yeah. Although my, our youth pastor was not white himself. In fact, several years ago, the stranger, which is the local alternative newspaper in Seattle area, heard that this church was doing ethnic night and assumed it was a white evangelical church you know, where they were going to like have the kids dress up in like racial stereotypes or something. So they, they, they email the church and the church says, yeah, if you guys want to come interview us, you will talk to you. They show up and the youth pastor who was my youth pastor, he still was there 20 years later. And Oh, here's this Filipino guy. And the assistant youth pastor is a black, a black guy. And they're going, Oh crap. We, 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 we were expecting something very different. Our whole story is derailed. So, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but my point is I I'm accepting all of that. 
And then at the same time, it's like, you know, the reality is, is that you just wanted to, you know, do, do drugs and, and sleep with girls. And the youth pastor just said, don't do drugs. Sex is designed by God for a specific context. And you, you know, you're mad that that's what somebody told you. Right. And, and, and there, and that, that's just what we've always believed. And you, right. you've had a, you know what? Two years later, you were doing drugs and sleeping with girls, and no nobody was was treating you badly. Every time you came to church for Christmas or Easter to make your mom happy, you you were welcomed. You were shown respect. You were shown dignity. You were mm-hmm. judged. So maybe the issue wasn't the church, I, yeah. and that's where I, I I think when we talk about hurt, I always want to be careful that sometimes these things can get a bad rap. You know? Yeah, definitely. What do you What do you think is the Adam Dahonic like signature move as a pastor, or maybe like you might consider it a, a veteran move, something that, that, that you maybe developed yourself or you, you, I don't know, just something that you think your ways may be better. I think, I think that, I don't know. I don't know if I have a signature move. I think that I have generally tried to focus on, on the main non-negotiable issues, who Jesus yeah. is, Sure. What what are the things that are, are, are essential? They are non-negotiable. And and usually those are things surrounding Jesus. Like the virgin birth yeah. is non-negotiable because it's directly linked to his claim of divinity. Sure. Whereas like there are other things that you might think are far more important, but they, they don't they don't hinge on Jesus's claim. And right. so they, they become secondary. And uh, so like we're doing a, a sort of mini series on Bible prophecy because we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. Ooh, fun. And Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about the end of the world. Okay. So I grew up in a group of churches that made a big deal about the end of the world. Yeah. Jesus is coming back. Yeah. The rapture is going to happen. Any second. Left behind. All that. Yeah. So I, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And I did really well in my Bible college classes, eschatology class. That was my single best Bible college class. Okay. Book of Revelation, Book of Daniel, Isaiah. I took all of these classes in, in Bible college. Did real well in them. So I know all the prophecy stuff. And funny enough, for my generation, I still believe in it, most of it theologically. But I just don't care about fighting about it. So <laughs> we've gone through this whole thing. And, and what I've said is... Look, do I believe that the church will be removed before a final seven-year period of judgment? Yes. Am I going to fight with somebody over it? No. What I care about is that people know that when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of the justice that my sins deserved. And so there's no more judgment left for any and all who have placed their faith in what Jesus did. So if some man, so if some, so if somebody believes that there is another way in which Christians or who are alive at that time, don't experience the wrath of God, I I might disagree with their thesis, but, but I can, I'm not going to fight them because we have this same common belief. That's to me, a non-negotiable. Yeah. There are Christians who believe that the church will experience the wrath of God. It's like, it's like some kind of like diet Coke version of purgatory. And, and so I, that's what I will fight against is this idea that there are Christians who, who need to experience the judgment of God somehow. And, uh, and so that's kind of been my signature move is to try to find 
what's the thing that really matters? What's yeah. the middle ground? Can we can we find points it. of unity? That's that's usually it. been my my, yeah. my my thing. Right. You, you you hold your ground fiercely fiercely and relentlessly on the stuff that that absolutely matters, and on the stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much. You you know, it's like hey, you know, we can we can agree to 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 disagree and still be friends on that stuff. I love it, man. That's that's phenomenal. Do you have any? as a pastor, guilty pleasures, maybe inside jokes that you drop into a sermon or I don't know. Do you have anything that comes to mind as a guilty pleasure or something that if someone caught you doing it, they may give you a hard time. Or if another pastor was sitting in one of your services, they would be like, I can't believe he just did that, but you don't care. You do it anyway. I don't know about that. I mean, I, 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 I have a line. I have a line. I'll say a lot where I'll talk about like an archetype or a certain type of person. And I'll say, I'm not talking about you. You know, I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. But I might be talking about them. And then, well, maybe. I I actually generally really try to never talk about people that are in the church. Okay, Um, sure. I I try to never use any any specific thing within the church or that anybody might know in the church as an example. And if and if I think that somebody might think that, I would say I'll I'll just say, hey, I'm going to talk about some things. None of these examples are anybody that you know. So I, I had a pastor um, that was like, they would always say like, if you're sitting there and you are nudging the person next to you and like, Hey, you know, this, this is for you. That means it's probably you're the one that needs to hear it. <laughs> that, that could be. Yeah. So, so I would say mostly that I try to keep the sports metaphors down to a minimum, but I fail often. Lame. Lame. And then, keep the sport uh, metaphors um, in, man. <laughs> well, sure. For, for me and for you, but, but for a lot of other people, it's not as connecting. <laughs> And, how, mad um, you, how mad are you that that Russell Wilson went to Denver? Not mad at all. I, I know that we're, we're, you're, you were Seahawks fans, right? Yeah. No, right? I'm, I'm, you, I'm very you Seahawks, happy with Seahawks it. fan. I I am, and I'm very happy with how yeah. things have worked out. So. I know it was. He was. He's my all time favorite Seahawk, but I feel like it was time for him to move on. And I, I, I don't know. I just felt <laughs> like it was time, but. Yeah, it was time. My all-time favorite Seahawk is John Ryan because because of the uh, the trick Wasn't play. Wasn't he the punter? Yes. Wasn't he the punter? And he had the trick pl- yes! he had the trick play good. in the Green Bay <laughs> NFC Championship game that that got us ahead to get into the second Super Bowl. And he made this oh, weird yeah. horrified face as he threw the ball and and I love it. And he owns the Portland Pickles, which is a a college college amateur team team. This is a lot Amazing. of fun to go to their games in the summer. Yeah, so, I love the the Hasselback Alexander Seahawks. Those were that was my my jam. I love the that version of I, the Seahawks. They, I'll say this: in my wilderness years between pastoral ministry, I was assistant manager at a grocery store where the Hasselbacks shopped while he was the quarterback, <laughs> and they were the nicest people. Amazing. Um, you know, there, I met some other local sports people who were not, I wouldn't say the same about, Oh yeah, but they were, it's, it's they so were genuinely good people. One of my favorite sports moments, and it sucks because it, it actually ended up losing, but one of my favorite sports moments of all time is we want the ball and we're going to score. I mean, he, he threw yes. an interception right after that, but just, I love yes. Matt Hasselbeck's hubris in that we want, he leans into the ref's mic. We want the ball and we're going to score. And I'm like, yeah. Interception. Ran back with yeah. touchdown. <laughs> it's like no, no it's true, but but I appreciate him. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, so. 
anyway. get back to the sorry the, you mentioned sports I wanted to mention uh, I knew you were a Seahawks fan but I wanted to mention that hey guys thank you so much for listening to the show I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know that this episode of the M plus one podcast has been brought to you by holiday cheer that's right this episode is coming out in the middle of December which means it's holiday season and whatever holidays you celebrate I wish you a merry happy holiday season I wish you a merry Christmas happy Hanukkah happy Kwanzaa whatever it is I just want you to be happy I want you and your family to have a good time. I want you to be blessed. I just want this time of year to be a happy one for you and your loved ones. This is a great time of year and I just hope you have a good one. Just a quick announcement, Christmas is coming up and I am gonna take a couple weeks off of uploading episodes. I'm still gonna be making content, but the week of Christmas, the week of New Year's, I'm gonna take off of episodes. You can expect that. We'll. Keep making episodes, keep recording episodes. Hopefully we'll have a couple backlogged for the launch of the new year. As always, I wanted to encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, to make sure that you like or favorite or subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, just click the subscribe button. Hey, it's one click, you know, it doesn't hurt you and it helps me a lot. It helps me to grow my show, grow the numbers. And if you're listening on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or however you're listening, if you're listening to an audio podcast, if you click follow and you click give one of the episodes a a heart or a thumbs up, that really helps the show. And also if you're listening, if you wanted to give us a review, like in Apple Podcasts, that would really help to grow the show. We would really appreciate that. Anyway, that's enough for me. We're going to get you back to the show. Thanks so much. Until next time. Thanks, guys. What is, as your time as a pastor, what has been your favorite moment or maybe your best moment or maybe something you look back at and you just think, man, that was just so good or so it's just a, a time that was just like, man, that was awesome. Something, maybe an event you planned that went really well, or maybe there was a time where, I don't know, a bunch of people got saved or I don't know, just something that was really impactful. Does something come to mind? Youth camps always come to mind. Give me uh, a youth, youth camp, uh, man. We, yeah, youth camps have always been been ones that would come to mind. I remember the first one I ever did, and we, for several years when we were in the Bay Area, we... Um, we ran kind of a regional one for for churches in our group in the bay area so i'm always those come to mind for sure mission trips to mexico or come to mind as well so so i i, I always think of those things but the the best single moment i've ever had well one of the best was last well summer of 2021 and we have a fellow who him and his then girlfriend started coming to the church and they're in their mid 60s at the time and they had just okay. kind of become Christians. And they became Christians. After a couple of years, we got them married. And they're kind of just figuring things out. And they're in their mid-60s sure. trying to figure out what it was to be a Christian after decades of, of sin and, and just misery in their lives. So he sure. says, I need to get baptized. But awesome. because of some health issues, he can't, he can't get in a baptismal. So... Okay. We're doing outdoor church, you know, which started in 2020 out of necessity, but we've started doing it every summer out of just liking it. And so we said, well, we're doing outdoor church. So I, I was nice and made sure it was warm water, but we bucket challenged him. And I, I dumped a bucket of water over him as he sat in a metal, a metal chair. And we had a, he's with the Lord now, but there was a retired 
Methodist pastor who came to our church and he was in his, in his late eighties and he couldn't get out to the field with his knees. And so he would sit in his car with the window down to listen to the service. And from across our field, I could hear him howling with laughter and, and I hear, I hear old John laughing <laughs> in all my years. I've never seen a baptism like that. And he's just by himself in his car laughing with joy because he had never seen, you know, <laughs> this, this older, older gentleman get dunked with water. Like, you know, like this guy had, nice. and that one always stands out to me just because it was such an, if, if the baptism had been all that had happened, that would, that would have been wonderful in and of itself. But, but then to see the joy in other people's lives as they experienced it nice. was, was wonderful. That's amazing. That's, that's wonderful. Okay. So let's say someone is, wants to be a pastor. Okay. And they're mm -hmm. maybe trying to get into it or they're just starting out. Do you have any, what kind of advice would you give to someone that is trying to start out as a pastor or wants to get into being a pastor? Make sure that you are employable outside of being a, that is the okay. biggest piece of advice I would give you for, and I would give you that for three reasons. The first is that you have to know whether you're called and that is not always a quick discernment process. So there are people who aren't sure and, and they get a job as a pastor and then they figure out, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to do long-term. Sure. And so you don't want to get in that place and then be stuck because the only thing that you feel like you're employable at is being a pastor. <laughs> I, I, I hate the old seminary system of you go to college, then you go to seminary, and now you graduate with all this debt, and the only thing you're employable as is as a church worker. Terrible system. Yeah, awful. I say be employable for that reason. Be employable because as the economics of this country change, the economics of church changes, and increasingly people who do the work of the Lord will need to have an option, at least in seasons of providing for themselves and their family outside of the church. Yeah. And then the final reason I would say that is so that you are never ministering out of force, that you're not ministering because it's the only thing you can do. Mm. And there are churches that have kind of been held hostage because there's a pastor who's seven years away from retirement, can't do anything else. Mm. And then the pastor just sticks around for the last seven years and the church declines because of it. I never want that to be the case. Sure. And so something I think about, and, and I'm actually on the side working on some other credentialing, not because I want to stop doing what I'm doing, but I also want to be able if I at 55, I'm 40 now, but what happens if at 50 or 55, I say, I think my season is done and I go, wait, can I do anything else for the last 10 years of my working life? Yeah. And that's something I think about a lot. So I, that would be my main advice because you want to make sure that you're called to do this thing and you want to be able to stay in that calling and you want to make sure that you're doing that calling, not because you're forced to, but because that's what you need to do. Yeah. That's awesome. That is really great advice. You know, it sounds a little bit like, like a mom Well, make sure you have a plan B, but that I feel like that's really good advice. It's, so see, this is the problem though, is that moms will say it like that. And then if you're a young person, that's like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. You'll hear it wrong. Right. You it's not wrong. a plan B. It's about making sure that you can do plan A. 
Right. Uh, it's about making sure that you can do, do this. It doesn't um, mean they don't have faith in you. You know, moms are yeah. practical, right? It doesn't mean they don't have faith in you. It means it, they just, they just want you to have options, right? Well, I'll, I'll be yeah. honest. It might mean that they don't have faith in you. I'm not talking about <laughs> that. Mean. I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't know your mom. I, I'm, exactly. I'm all for you stepping out and trying things, but let's say that, let's say that you, you go to, you get your four year degree in education and you have a teacher's license. And then you become a youth pastor and you never teach, but you keep a teacher's license active and you, you're like a substitute teacher. And so then you could be a part-time youth pastor and, and sub on the side. That seems pretty, a pretty smart idea in today's economic climate. Yeah. It also right. seems like a really good way to just figure things out. Sure. That's all I'm saying. Great. So I have awesome. I have a section, a segment on a show that's called let's get into it. And I don't know if you had any okay. ideas, but in the show, we take just a couple minutes where we actually try to do the thing a little bit. So like when I had Courtney on, we did a, a we talked about improv. We did like a, like a five minute improv game when we did, we had a John C Brown on, we talked about acting and we did like a, like an acting, we call it exercise. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on anything that we could do relating to pastoring that we could just do in just like a couple minutes. And if you don't have anything, if you couldn't think of anything, that's fine. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So there's a couple things you could do. Let me just pull something up here really quick. I'm excited. Uh, I love it best when I have no idea what's coming. This is great. This is great. <laughs> it could be nothing. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you, let me give you two things. Okay. So two things you, two things you could, if you want to kind of walk through pastoral work. So okay. the first, remember I said you, the most important challenge is to take care of your own soul. Sure. There is a, it's attributed to St. Ignatius, whether it's his or not, it's attributed to him. Okay. I think it, it actually is his thing and it's called his daily exam. And this is the, the five questions he asked himself. Okay. And, and this is worth, you can just Google the daily exam and you'll find it real easy. Okay. And in the questions that he asked himself, he says, said, I need to become aware of the presence of God. Okay. And then I need to review the day with gratitude. Then okay. I need to pay attention to my emotions. Okay. And then I need to choose one feature from the day and pray for it or from it. Okay. And then I need to look forward to tomorrow. So in terms of my own soul care, and you're like, well, how do you do that? Where do you start? There have been seasons of my life where I have just prayed the Lord's prayer and then stopped and paused and been like, Hey, Holy is your name. What does that mean? Okay. Start, just start free form praying. And then I'm kind of done free form praying. And then I go, oh, where was I? Oh, okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, what does your kingdom come mean? I start free form praying. It's the same idea. So, so maybe I would sit with this question and say, become aware of the presence of God. And so maybe for a minute, I do nothing. Maybe for a minute, I sit in silence. Okay. And then maybe I start asking, Lord, can you make me aware of your presence? Can you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Can you, can you show me in some way that you're here with me? And then review the day of gratitude. So you just start going over your day. If it's the end of the day, or maybe if it's, you know, the morning, you could go over kind of where you've been, uh, yeah. you know, the previous I, day or the previous week. I feel like I struggle with gratitude a lot. So that'll be, that'll be good for me. <laughs> gratitude is the tricky part because, you know, it's easy to look at all the bad things. So then if you, yeah. if you have that as a forced, a forced perspective, yeah. Then you have to say, how can I even be grateful for the moments that were rough? Yeah. And it's not false. It's just forcing myself to not 
be in negativity. Yeah. Uh, sure. And then pay close attention to your emotions. That's going to be together because I could easily just get down, depressed or, 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 you know, sink into something or angry. I could just sink into anger. If, if something, you know, like that had happened, Yeah. choose one feature from the day to pray from it. So let's say that something happened terrible at work. You're, you're praying in the evening. Something happened terrible at work that day. You're praying in the morning. Something happened last night that you're still fuming over. Well, that's your thing to pray for because you're, you're praying over it. You're working through it in prayer. You're not just randomly praying, uh, God bless Sally and bless my dog. And I, I hope it's a nice day and give us all happy thoughts. You're actually having to work through some stuff with God in prayer and then look forward to tomorrow or look forward to the day ahead. And then you could start to pray through. I've got a, I've got this meeting today. Can you give me wisdom for it? I have, I have these three things that need to get, you know, help me to accomplish these things. Well, these are things to, that every person could simple steps that every person could bring as a practice, a spiritual discipline into their lives and, and help as a way to give framework to taking care of their souls. That's awesome. So that's, that's, and then once you've kind of prayed through things, you know, then you start to, you could take. I'll give you, you know, one of the things that I find is, is people, when they read their Bible, okay. they, they don't know how to do it. And I don't right. mean like they don't know how to read, No, but where do I start? I, what do I read? Yeah. What do I yeah. study? How do I do um, this? Yeah. Exactly. And first of all, I would recommend that everybody start with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Yeah. Go, then sure. go to the book of Acts because it tells the story of Jesus. Yeah, and you can get to definitely. the other, unlike, you know, you think we'll start Genesis at the very beginning. No, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That being said, there is a process. There's different names for it, but I, you know, inductive Bible study is a real common name for it. I forget the other, there's another term for it too, but observation, interpretation, application, you know, Matthew 28, 16, the 11 disciples went up to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Okay. Observation. Hey, there's only 11. Why is that? Oh, Judas is gone. They went to Galilee. Okay. So they've left wherever they were, which I know to be Jerusalem. And they've gone to Galilee to a mountain and Jesus told them to go there. So I'm observing that there are being obedient. Okay. And, and a lot of people skip this step. They want to go just to application or interpretation because, you know, but if you don't observe stuff, then you'll miss, Hey, they're on a mountain. They went to Galilee. You might, you might go immediately to Jesus told them to go there and skip over 11 disciples or you know, where they went to. Mm -hmm. Then you go to interpretation. Hey, what, where is the interpretation on this? Well, maybe there isn't as much on this verse, you know, um, the, for some verses, you know, you have to get through like verse 18, where Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That might require more interpretation than verse 16 does. But th once you have your interpretation, you've observed, you've interpreted as best you can, then you find your application and everybody wants to skip to that final step. Yeah. Hey, I want to apply this to my life. But if you just skip to application, maybe you'll get it right, but you could easily get it wrong. And if your process is bad, you'll just make it say whatever you want it to say. Yeah, definitely. And we're not in the, we're not so, in the business of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, here I'm going to observe 11 disciples who want to interpret. Well, there's not much to interpret here other than, um, that they had, you know, left and they'd gone to where Jesus told them to go. What's the application? Well, okay. Jesus had given them instructions and they were doing it and they, and they don't seem to know everything. And verse 17 says that when they saw him, 
They worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, so there's still stuff going on. They don't have it all figured out, but they're at least there. They've all gone to where Jesus told them to go. So I can take some application in my life. I don't have it all figured out. There are moments where I don't get it all right. But I need to go in the general direction that I've been told by God to go. (laughs) Observation, interpretation, application. And I think if you take spiritual disciplines, prayer, worship, fasting, giving, generosity, all of these things that are spiritual disciplines, and then you combine them with just a, a real basic understanding of, of, of studying the, the Word of God. I think, I think those two things will pay off huge in the life of, of Christians. And, and a lot of Christians just never taught how to do any of those things yeah. for, for various reasons. Awesome. Well, those are great tips. Thank you so much for walking us through that. We're going to get to the last question, which is the point of the show in plus one. So Adam, what is up next? What is on the, on the horizon for you in your ministry? Do you have anything that you guys are planning? What do you, what do you think? What is, what's coming up? We are not a, a big events church. Okay. We are, we're, we're real chill that way. Although we do have sides giving this weekend, which is fun. Oh, that's fun. Um, where, yeah, it's, it's just a church lunch, but everybody, instead of doing anything big, we'll have stuff for like turkey sandwiches. And then people bring either their like no. favorite family classic side dish, or if there's like something new they've been wanting to try out, but they don't want to bring it to the family Thanksgiving right. without testing it first, oh, we can see, be their I, guinea pigs. You know, I, I knew exactly what this was. As soon as you, I've never heard of this, but as soon as you said sides, get sides giving, I knew exactly what it was and I'm in, yeah. I'm driving up to Portland. Yeah. <laughs> we we did it in the before times before COVID and it was great and we're bringing it back this, this is year. The first one since and, COVID. Uh, oh wow, amazing. Yeah. So uh, so we're doing that and that's good. But uh, do you have any you know like long long term goals or anything? Something that you've been w- hoping for or wishing for as far as your ministry? You know, real excited that we're we're getting. Uh, we're just just put in dates for next summer for our first mission trip since COVID. Ooh. Real excited to get that going again. Amazing. And uh, we'll, we'll be heading back down to Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, we'll be down in Ro- Rosarito, Mexico next summer. Amazing. And uh, so thankful for that. And then uh, personally, Love I those. just got appointed to the board of ministry for our, our conference of churches here in Washington, Oregon. So I'm on the, the board that handles credentialing for women and men who are commissioned, licensed, and then for men who are ordained for different ministries and and roles in our churches. Well, congratulations on that. It's about time that they see your potential. That's awesome. No, thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Adam. This is the time where if you have anything that you want to plug, where can people find you? Where can people attend your church? Where can people connect to you online? This is that time. Sure. Yeah, so if you live in in the southeast Portland, North Clackamas County area, you're welcome to come check us out at faithonhill.com. If you just want to hear any of our podcasts, we have our Sunday mornings, and then we have three podcasts. We have the 20-minute Bible study, which is meant for commutes, and so it's 20 minutes long. It's currently going through 2 Samuel. And then the Starting Points podcast, which is just kind of overviews of books of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and just meant for people that are just starting to study the Bible for the first time. And a long-form conversational podcast that gets released periodically called Talk About Anything, which is a lot like this one. Nice. And uh, all of those are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Not Faith Hill, not Faith on the Hill, Faith on Hill, because we're on Hill Road, that's why. And so Faith on Hill, and then on social media, Facebook and Instagram, we're at Faith on Hill, and there's video versions on our website and on our Facebook as well. 
Awesome. And then if they wanted to follow you on Instagram or Facebook or, or you just want them to follow you there on Faith on Hill. Yeah, they can. I mean, my Instagram is at Adam Dalhannock, A-D-A-M-D-O-L-H-A-N-Y-K. I don't post a lot about guitar stuff anymore. It's mostly, you know, food or, or sports or my kids or something. But nice. yeah, mostly, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty boring. I, I, I just play acoustic guitar at church these days. And so you can only post so many pictures of your, of your acoustic guitar and have it be interesting. But <laughs> it's very simple yeah, these so, days. Yeah. Nice. But, uh, well, we're going to, but yeah, we're going to ask the, the silly questions and we're going to get you out of here. But I was going to say one joke is that, you know, we can tell you're a pastor cause you definitely went long today. <laughs> these, these are normally an hour and we're at an hour and a half. So, okay. So two silly questions. These are the, the questions we get as we get everyone out. And I totally stole this idea from, from not chasing tones. The other one, tone mob, gosh, tone mob. I told sorry. I totally stole this idea from the tone mob, but I did different questions. I even messaged Blake and made sure, hey, is it okay if I steal this idea? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but so two silly questions at the end of the show. The first is I want you to name, drop the name of the most famous person you've ever met. And you mentioned that you opened for some pretty popular bands. You can name more bands, but at the end, I want you to drop the name of the most famous person you've ever met. Yeah. So I, yeah. And when I was in high school, just because of proximity and the time I was alive, I'm alive. I grew up in Seattle and knew some people. And so I, I was, I was playing bass in a crappy band that opened for Pedro the Lion. And I think I played bass in all these bands. I, I opened for Aaron Sprinkle, who's a producer. He discovered MXPX. He's also produced records for Under Oath and Cutlass and Jeremy okay. Camp and okay. a million other bands. He's a solo artist in his own right. His, my, my favorite thing he's ever done is a band called Fair, F-A-I-R. Mm. They put out two records in the mid-2000s and they're, I, I love them. Nobody, they're criminally underappreciated. And uh, I also opened for Damien Gerardo, who's still one of my favorite indie record artists. So uh, yeah, just, and that just had to do with knowing some people and living in Seattle. I also opened for a band called The Lost Dogs, which is a, a Christian band that some people know about and some people don't, but for me, that was a no, lot of fun. Of them. Yeah, there, there's uh, bands like Daniel Amos and The Choir that were like more well-known bands in the 80s and the mm-hmm. 70s in Christian music, and they're members of those bands, and they're kind of like alt-country. They, they actually have a, a record called Little Red Riding Hood, you can find on Spotify or Apple Music that I would recommend to anyone who likes kind of alt country stuff. I think it's fantastic. Most famous person I've ever met. Yeah. I once I once sold mistletoe to Bill Nye the Science Guy. What? Yeah, I was I was working as a cashier. It's like I just graduated from high school, like maybe a month. Bill. Yeah. I just graduated from high school, like, you know, six months earlier. And I was working as a cashier at a grocery store in Seattle. And he came in, bought some mistletoe and kind of explained different varieties of mistletoe. And one time I was at a pastor's conference and a golf cart, I was just standing there in this conference ground and this golf cart pulled around the corner. And in my head, I thought it was Billy Graham. And Chuck Smith, who's another well-known pastor, was driving the golf cart. And it really was Chuck Smith, but it wasn't Billy Graham. It was his son, Franklin. Mm. And Franklin goes, hi. And I go, hi. And then they drive on by me. And I was, I was like, that was weird. So I guess I've met him. He's pretty famous. Nice. But Bill Nye, the science guy, is pretty cool. All right. Name drop card. There's your name yeah. and drop card. Okay. And then the last question, we'll get you out of here. And once again, thank you so much for your time. What is, in your opinion, the all-time greatest cartoon theme song? Oh, that is tough. That is a hard, hard question. I know, right? I, that I, is... 
Oh man, that is a ridiculously hard question. It's not that hard, um, man. It really is. I mean, hard, I think man. in a lot of there's a couple. It, it really, there's no, a couple, there's so there's a short list, but there's so many good cartoon oh, theme songs. I know. There's man. so many good ones. This is why I'm asking um, the question. I mean, I'm, I'm making a list. I, I, I mean, I think in some ways it, it's this like battle between GI Joe and Transformers, but Ducktales is also up there. Mm-hmm. You got to pick one though. Uh, X Men. You know. I know that X Men's really iconic and a lot of people love it, mm-hmm. but I don't. I, I don't. I, I, I recognize how you. iconic it is. It never like. I, I hear it and I recognize it, but it's not like for mm-hmm. me. Great, a great cartoon theme song had to have words. Generally speaking, it had to have words. See, I, and so okay, like I, Doug, I, I don't exactly agree because one of my all-time favorites is Gargoyles. Which didn't okay. really have singable words. That's it fair. was just so the melody was so iconic, sure. and how they had the the dude climbing in time. You know, yeah. like anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think but it just had to do one. with singability. Uh, yeah, Ducktales. Ducktales is pretty good for singability, man. Yeah, Ducktales would be. But, uh, I, I think I'd probably just go with Transformers. Okay, we got one. Um, although, although Dark Horse, Dark Horse, there's a Mask, which was an underrated '80s TV show, mask? and that had a really good. Yeah, I'm going to put Mask. Okay, we're going yeah, for I'm mask. Put mask. Put it on the board. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we've went over time, but th- Adam, thank you so much for your time. You've been amazing. It's been great catching up, and uh, I would just say thank you so much for your time. And uh, follow Adam on on the Instagram. What was it? A Faith in on Hill. Right? Faith on Hill. Yep. Faith on Hill. You can follow him there. And until next time, guys, don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm.